0: And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can
1: do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. My fellow Americans, welcome to the Inspired Service podcast. I'm your host, Noah Scheinbaum, and I'm thrilled today to be joined by a very special guest, uh, Miss Laura Mignot, who is truly a a self-described super connector. Uh, and CEO of the experienced communications agency D-Flash in New York City.
0: Um,
1: And of particular relevance for our conversation today, Laura is also a volunteer extraordinaire and advisor to the C-19 Coalition. So she's another example of someone who has surged to the fight against COVID-19 and had some pretty incredible impact in in the last few months. So Laura, thanks so much for, for being with us. It's great to have you.
0: Awesome! Great to
1: be here, now. So I should I should add for everyone. Laura is a fellow podcaster and has been at this far longer than I. So this is going to be an example of of the tables probably turning a little bit on me. But I'm excited because Laura, in her reset podcast, is typically spotlighting others and, and bringing on all sorts of incredible folks and and hearing about what they're doing what they do. But today we're going to turn the spotlight on her uh, and talk about how Laura has been able to leverage some of the incredible assets, uh, networks that she has to make a pretty incredible uh, impact. So for those who are new to the show, the Inspired Service podcast is really about putting a focus on those who serve their communities and their country in more ways than one. And this season, we've been particularly focused on the COVID-19 response efforts nationwide. You've heard about the C-19 Coalition before, Uh, And Laura's team on that coalition is of particular interest. And we're going to spend a lot of time on that today. Before we get into all of the specifics around COVID and and what what you've been up to, I I want to start with a a more fundamental question for you, because it's so clear from all of your work that you have a real love for people. Um, And at a time when folks are polarized and everybody seems to be fighting with everybody else, talk to us a little bit about where that love of people comes from.
0: Well, I guess, and, oh, and thanks for having me on the show, Noah. I think, you know, where it kind of comes from is that I was always a kind of shy, nerdy kid who had a stutter and oftentimes felt very lonely. And weirdly enough, I think because of that, I have a deep sense of empathy for other people. And so in all the work that I've done, it always seems to always turn around about, like, how am I making people feel welcome and how am I making people feel at home? And you know that kind of has crystallized over the last few years in the types of work and the products that we do for my day job. And I think you know, there's just a basic fundamental of kindness to others. And when you do just you're just nice to people, good things tend to happen to you. That's really key at this particular moment in our history to you know, just be good to people. I mean, I think there's been a lot of culture of meanness. I wrote about this in an article on LinkedIn recently about like for the last 20 years, you know, with reality TV being kind of obnoxious and mean has been sort of a, a badge of honor. And so what I'm hoping as a result that comes out of us all kind of coming together in a really special way for COVID that we can look at the world in a better way to be good to each other.
1: Gosh, that it, it strikes me. It really would have made this response... And this whole pandemic, a heck of a lot easier if everyone was kind of assumed positive intent. I mean, that that's or even just kind of treated each other with a base, basic level of, of uh, kindness as opposed to...
0: Common decency would have been lovely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: And But but we are where we are. Uh, and, you know, this this show is primarily about about the good and the positive and the bright spots. So I, I don't want to harp too much on on the negative. And you've, I mean, you've been a part of creating and also uh, I'm sure born witness to a lot of a lot of the bright spots so let, let's talk about it um laura you you run in your day job the the communications agency d flash and now you're a major part of a covid 19 relief effort you don't work at uh, the department of health and human services you don't work at the cdc how in the world did that happen give us a
0: little bit of the backstory um as with most things i do it ends up being an accident or just the right place right time and so with COVID, it was you know very personal for me because so I'll give you the, the, the real funny part about this. So I turned 40 in February. I threw a big party for my 40th birthday. One of my cousins, who we grew up together, but we hadn't seen each other in like maybe five, six years, um, came to the party and we're chatting at the party. And I'm like, dude, we cannot let another five, six years go between the two of us not hanging out. We both live in the city. This is ridiculous. Even though we're really busy. And he's like, of course, like this is dumb. And so that was like, you know, February 22nd. And then, like, I want to say that like, the second week of March, I got a call from his sister, his, um, my other cousin, saying that he was in the hospital with that new disease, with this COVID situation, and it was really, really bad. And I just, if you want to talk about what a gut punch this was, it, it, it crystallized everything for me. And on top of that, obviously, second week of March is also when all of my huge events for South by Southwest got canceled because um, everything started to get shut down. And so as a result of that, I quickly realized that something was off, and, and I, can, I need to find a way to try and, be, try and be helpful in some way, shape, or form. And so as was my day job, I'm kind of a professional magic maker, so I may start sorry, making stuff happen. So yeah, so my whole thing was uh, being a sort of professional magic maker. Uh, magic maker it's always been about like solving a problem that people have right that moment. And because I produce some of the biggest events in the world, I have connections kind of everywhere. And so I had some friends to Hong Kong and I said, hey, you just happen to know anyone who can get this like PPE stuff? Because it doesn't make sense to me that you can't find like gloves and masks, people wearing garbage bags in New York City at hospitals, it's absurd. And so a few phone calls later and I found some folks, who said yeah of course we can do that and then i started talking to friends who were in politics and say listen i can connect you guys and this is also in like you know april now where everyone is like freaked out and there's all this scamming going where you have like tens of millions of masks not arriving people buying ventilators for a hundred thousand dollars a pop i mean just madness and i found folks who were doing this for reasonable pricing and because it was coming through me if i wasn't gonna put my name on anything that was insane Like we could get that stuff over here, and so you know, it was a bit of an uphill climb because obviously, like, the slog of getting through crazy people was a little bit nuts. But we were able to deliver about half a million um, masks to the states across the country, and it was pretty awesome. And I was like, "Hmm, "What else can I do?" At the same time, a friend of mine had started working at C nineteen Coalition, and she told me that you know this was the place that I, all the great partners were coming towards. And I was like, this sounds like somewhere I can really help. And so she's like, you know, I think Disforced Impact would be somewhere where you could really help us. And so I joined in, over the summer and, you know, and I've been leading the Disforced Impact team ever since. And we've been um, so happy to be able to get hundreds of thousands of masks away, larger communities of color who need it more than anybody else. And also just kind of opening the awareness to for folks to know that like, this is how you can get to different communities. It's not brain surgery, but it does require a level of empathy that you probably may not know you had to go kind of dig deep and have.
1: Yeah, the return of empathy, great, you know, great call out there. And I, it's, it's amazing to me that, you know, we've, the, the, this is kind of the thread of the story of the, the citizen uh, surge or the citizen warrior, if you will, against COVID of people knowing people and making things happen. It's incredible to me that, that that just, you know, played out in that way. And we saw, you know, on our on our end of this, the spectrum with the Civilian Corps, why do you think you know, th- this question is a bit of a tangent, but I'm really curious. Why do you think it was that people like you were able to, to leverage those networks and get things done while, you know, governments and health systems and the actual big institutions that needed the stuff struggled so mightily to access it?
0: Well, I think it's always, it falls in the same bucket of entrepreneurship versus, you know, corporate. Why was I able to build all sorts of activations around the world when agencies 10 times my size could never do that? It's, you know, a level of fearlessness, a level of imagination, and a level of hustle that is unmatched. And also, you know, that fearlessness part about it is like the key in, in any of this stuff. Because I was like, of course I'll call this person in Hong Kong. I don't care. Who cares? Like, what are you going to do to me? Um, and then the same kind of thing talking to like these government people. Like, I'm not scared of you folks. Like, I'm trying to help you. I'm not like, if, if you're coming in from a good place and not being afraid of other folks, I think you would put yourself in a much better position, but I think oftentimes, you know, it's always like asking for permission instead of like, you know, instead of asking for forgiveness. I am firmly in the ask for forgiveness camp. <laughs> so, And so, and I think a lot of right. folks who did jump into this because of the fact that we are entrepreneurs. Or you, we don't have your typical nine to five job where you punch out, you follow the rules and you like stay for 20 years to get your pension. So I think that type of individual lends themselves to success in these kinds of situations because, you know, you're just about getting it done as opposed to like getting it perfect. And, you know, it's also like the perfect isn't going to be the enemy of the good. It's like, can I get you half a million masks versus the 10 million that you want? Yeah, I will get you a half million. Or you need a thousand masks. So I'm gonna get you a thousand masks because I think the problem a lot of times was that folks thought you needed to have a hit a home run, when a bunt single was more than enough. And I think that's also what a lot of folks kind of had these issues where it's like, no, I don't need 10 million masks. I need a thousand. And if they got a thousand, that could do, that Help my entire hospital, that could help my entire university. And so again, because of that you know, thinking of like, well, what is it you need right now? How can I help right now? Instead of like, what I think you need, um, that framing comes in super handy.
1: Yeah, no, I I love that. And I love this idea of almost like, this blissful fearlessness of I'm not inside your chain of command. Like if you want to tell me you don't want my masks, fine. Like you don't want my help, fine, but I'm going to try. You're not going to fire me. You can't fire me. I don't work for you. I think there's something really powerful in just being, being an outsider, you know, like just coming at this from, I got nothing to lose. You got everything to gain. You want to make a deal or do or you want to just stand on principle and, and bureaucracy? So that's, that's really cool. Uh, I, I think it's a really cool, really interesting theme. Hey, Laura, you mentioned something else, which is you came on board and started working with the disproportionate impact team. What is that? And why were you drawn to it? Talk to us a little bit about that.
0: It's the help people of color side of the bucket of the universe. And um, I'm a woman of color. And I get to, and So therefore, I it has a special place in my heart. There's some brain surgery here. Um, <laughs> listen, I, I, I grew up, upper middle class on Long Island. I went to private school. It was not which college I might get into is which Ivy League school was I going to go to. Um, I went to NYU. I have an MBA. I've I, you know, been extremely fortunate. I grew up privileged. I'm still a black woman. And so I understand the universe that we all live in and that, but for, you know, the universe, I could be in a situation that was drastically different than the one I currently am in. And, and so I am deeply embedded in lifting people as you climb, who especially people who are black and brown. And so what I immediately saw was that the people who are getting ripped off the most, people who need the most help, people who are the essential workers, were all black and brown, and they're the ones not getting the help. And so what could we do to help our partners, like big companies like HP, Intel, Cardinal Health, get to these communities of color, and um, and you know provide supplies, guidance, and help. And so you know, I help, like you know, write the rules of the road to kind of give folks a framework. Because again, I think a lot of times folks again think because you're corporate that like I need 10 million of, of something versus I literally need a thousand. And so helping kind of break down those walls was was the first part of the program that I built. And then the second part of it was, okay, you know, I, I ended up talking to a class student because throughout COVID, I've been speaking a bunch on panels because, like, I'm a marketing person. So, like, those things still exist. And, you know, I always say, you know, my DMs are open. If you ever have a question, feel free to reach out. The student reached out. We started chatting. She was telling me about her, what she wanted to do when she graduated, and I thought she was great. And uh, she mentioned to me about, like, how, you know, she's going back to class. And I was like, Wait, did you guys not go virtual she's like no we can't go virtual we'll lose our charter and I'm like, i am like you guys have enough ppe she's like well kinda and i'm like oh my gosh, but this is absurd and so as, as as with anything i do okay i'll i will just fix this so, so i talked to the team and said we need to create a program that's about getting ppe to hbcus hsis and tcus because I think sometimes people assume that there's only like four HBCUs in the country, for example, because you've heard of Spelman and Howard and Morehouse and you think that's all there is. And like, well, no. Schools like you know, Philander Smith, Savannah State, Dillard are smaller schools, but their students are just as important and don't always get the shine that the bigger schools get. But you know, their impact is massive because they're the lifebloods of communities. And we started connecting our partners to give and donate PPE to those smaller schools. Um, and it's been a phenomenal success. We've given up hundreds of thousands of masks. Um, and we're launching a program called Sunday Suppers where we're bringing sort of dignity back to the testing experience. Cause I take my day job of building experiences and combine this with this need for, um, uh, making everyone safe and kind of marry the two together. So what's well, not dignified you know, get about getting
1: a probe stuck up your nostril? That's not a good time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, it's not woman fuzzy if we're going to be totally honest. <laughs> Uh, um, So how can I make this a little bit nicer? So this this thing called Sunday Suppers. And so you'll be able to get a test, a two week supply of PPE and a free meal that comes from a local vendor restaurant and, uh, within your community. So, because the other thing that we know is that like these schools, especially smaller ones, are the lifebloods and engines of their communities. And if the people aren't going out to eat, if people aren't going to the stores, like these, stuff may, these things are going to suffer. And again, these are largely in communities of color that need the money more than anything else. And so my whole thing is, you know, why solve one problem when you can solve three? <laughs> it's like, again, it's just, it, for me, it's just like, this, this makes sense.
1: That's That's <laughs> awesome. No, I, I was just going to ask, because like I, I think it's possible you hear this, you're sitting at home, and someone might say, "Well, gosh, I don't, I don't know you know suppliers in China or Hong Kong. I can't get you know 3M style masks or I don't know any restaurant owners like what What do you say to those people? because I know you knew a lot of people coming into this, but I would bet you didn't know everybody that you're working with today. How do you just get off the couch oh, yeah. and, and get helping?" <laughs>
0: Well, it's it's like, do you want to help or not? That's the first part about this, because, you know, I think what we help folks realize early on is that, like, every person can make a difference in their local community if they pick up the phone. It's like, you know that there's a local community center, a boys and girls club, a smaller hospital, a homeless shelter. You know these places exist in your town. They exist everywhere. Pick up the phone. Don't send an email. Pick up the phone and say, hi. Like, you know, um, would you guys need supplies like masks? Masks are super cheap now. You can go on Amazon and buy a mask. You could literally go and buy like two hundred masks for like ten bucks and ship them to that community center. They'll greatly appreciate it. Because you have to remember, like, we have a massive shortfall in terms of what, in terms of a PPE supply. And this belief that because you don't see on the news people wearing garbage bags anymore, that in hospitals doesn't mean it does not exist. Some hospitals are in wonderful shape. Some are not. And some homeless cells are in wonderful shape. Some are not. Because here's the thing. If, you know, if you just reach out to the local communities and find out what's necessary, like, are there other f- food banks empty? And like, rather than sending them food, write them a check. Like, again, this doesn't, like this, if you don't want to go outside and deal with people, totally fine. I did this a lot from my desk in my apartment in Manhattan. Yeah. That's like, the way, the way you do this is my iPhone, my laptop, and some AirPods. Like, <laughs> this is... <laughs> the tools tools
1: of the response yeah
0: (laughs) yeah but like i think you know it becomes very daunting for folks and so when it becomes daunting you want to do it so like remove all the barriers like when i created df the reason i created it because i was like i want to get rid of all the things i don't like about events and only focus on the things that i like and so that was okay i don't like the check-in process it's crappy the people who are moderators are kind of obnoxious the food is crap okay great all those are gone so I moderate the panels, I make the check and process super easy, I get great food and wine at my events. There you go, problem solved. So same premise. It's like if you're seeing that like you're driving by and you see this ridiculous line for the food line, and you're like, well, this is absurd. How can I help? Ask, like, hey, would you, do you need more volunteers, It's to say monetary thing? And people will tell you, you know. I think what I said to the folks early on was like, remember if you're in a bigger city, that like it might be 2020 in your town, but it might be 1998 in another smaller rural town. And that's not to diss that town, it's to understand that your ease of access is different than theirs. It's easy for us to get on Zoom and have a conversation while I look up the Brooklyn Bridge in in a co-working space. Some folks, they're going to like, aren't, they'll still be on dialogue, they'll still fax. They may not, they don't have Slack. They can't DM you. They're not on Twitter. That's why I said pick up the phone <laughs> and just talk to people. Because also here's the thing. When you talk to people, you build relationships. When you build relationships, people will tell you what's, ha- what's happening on the ground when you are accessible to people and you don't sound like you're trying to sell someone something or just trying to judge someone, you will a lot more, you'll get a lot, a lot better response. And so that's been always been my thing. It's like, I just like, hi, how can I help? Tell me what's going on? Not being someone who's like gruff and obnoxious about it, but just being like, you know, how can I be helpful? How can I be, how can I be kind?
1: Just ask the question. Um, just I, ask the question. Just
0: ask the question and don't judge. Like, you have no right to judge. Like I said, I didn't go to an HBCU. I know that I have friends who did, but that doesn't matter. I, I didn't call my friends in HBCUs. I was like, I'll just, like, talk to this college student because I bet she knows them far better than my friend who's, who's 20 years out of college. So, you know, when you think of it in those terms, that's how you can get stuff done. Hey,
1: there was, there was something else you said that I, I was really curious about. Right? You were talking about just because you don't see it on the news doesn't mean it's not a problem anymore. And one of the things that's been absolutely crazy to me during this whole nine months or however long this has been now, the, the frenetic news cycle, the, the almost like schizophrenic of one day we're talking about you know PPE, the next day we're talking about data, the next day we're talking about contact tracing, then it's about vaccines. Oh, and now hospitals are overwhelmed again. So now we're back to like stay at home orders. It just seems like the news cycle is so rapid. That we're almost moving it's like lurching from a crisis to crisis within the crisis and you're in communications you're in events you understand this stuff really well one of my big big fears is that we're gonna start vaccinating people and we're just gonna forget that this that 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 our infrastructure wasn't ready that we didn't have all of the things in place that could have made this slightly less horrific what do you think what are the prospects for being able to drive kind of any kind of continued focus on disaster preparedness on pandemic preparedness on crisis management n- domestically what what do you think we all need to do to to kind of remember this and not just bury it into our the deep recesses of our of our minds <laughs> once we stick a needle in our arms and want to just go back to having things the way they were
0: well i think it's the two things one i think the nature of this is that it's it's forever changed the country in terms of how we work how we live and how we interact with each other so there is no going back we're all gonna go forward in a new and unique way. And so, the, i afford just the opportunity to shine a light on this stuff repeatedly by yelling from the rooftops. So, having me on podcasts like yours and like keeping this top of mind, because I think, you know, there's a collective trauma we've all kind of gone through whereby like everything we sort of knew got quote unquote taken away from us. So like, our freedom to move went away. And as a result of that, you know, some folks are gonna be like shook by that and just like want to not ever look back on this. But the only way we can learn from this experience is to take what we, what happened here and make sure it never happens again. And so we have to like, no. We didn't have, we, we haven't had a collective mourning. Like 3,000 people died yesterday. And like that happened on 9-11. I was in New York in, in college and during 9-11 and like the whole country stopped. We haven't had that here. I mean, my hope was that with the new administration that we actually take some time to grieve what's happened so that we don't forget this and you know I think in local communities like there need to be like memorials there need to be like reading of the names there need to be the monuments to our our health workers and our essential workers and you know and that has to be driven home that like this happened because we, we forgot who we were because, you know, this happened when, we, when it was, like, nine eleven. We all remember the collective. Like, everyone's, like, we're in this together. We're going to try and, like, we want to help New York. We've you your back. And that didn't happen this time. And I think because we sort of got away from who we were. So whatever we can do to be helpful to other folks, the better off we'll be.
1: No, it's the, – the contrast is really stark. and it, it really – the fact that we're at a nine eleven a day is, is kind of unfathomable. I think it just kind of – it's, there's that point in your mind after which it's just hard to comprehend kind of the scale of a, you know? of a tragedy like this. I, I, I am really taken by something you said of, of like, we, we forgot who we were, and this has fundamentally changed all of us. I, I mean, to make that personal, service has meant something to you for a long time. I know there have always been things you've done to, to kind of engage on the, on the causes that you care about. How has this one changed you? Like, certainly, your 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 day business, the bread and butter around events, so different now. But then also, what you've been able to do with C nineteen, like how do you see this impacting you? What does it mean for the future for for Laura? Is this is this going to change the way that you spend your time or the way that you see your your daily responsibilities and, and job?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, my day job has forever changed. I mean, we went from being a 90% events company to a 50% virtual events company and branding and strategy agency on the other half because we had to to keep the lights on. Um, but, you know, and the outgrowth of that is that we've got to work on some really incredible unique projects that we probably wouldn't have gone after because we would be focused on doing big, large events around the world. You know, I traveled every month for the last nine years. Um, I have left New York in nine months. It's kind of crazy. But we've always had, and I've always had, like, something that was focused on helping young people, kids who looked like me, who had drastically different circumstances than me. Like, I spent the last 10 years. Um, on a leadership council, the young musician or schools, and like you know, mentoring you know girls from age, you know six to twelve. Because you know, for me, I completely understood that it's just luck and circumstance. But things can be drastically different for me. And I think around the COVID crisis, you know, it's one been heartbreaking to have conversations with people where you're just like, what? How? <laughs> this is this is absurd. And I think, you know, for me, going forward, it's like, what can I do to sort of make sure that this doesn't happen again? It's like, I've made all these insane connections of all these PPE companies and healthcare companies and like national staff file, national volunteer staff file, like, you know, this army of people who like now understand how to do this stuff. Like, do we build factories? Like, do I work with someone to help build a factory? Like, do you do this? This does not happen again. Um, and also, like, you know, around mental health, because like I said this collective shock that we all are. You know, as someone who's in events, like, I get asked almost daily, like, well, what's gonna happen when events come back? And I'm like, people aren't gonna be in crowds. And <laughs> and they're like, no. And I'm oh, I'm not kidding, actually. Mm-hmm. The idea, like, uh, I'll make this full circle. So, the idea of, like, when on February 22nd, when I threw a four-year birthday party at a club, I had fifty people there, and then at eleven o'clock, when the club opened up to other people, and a bunch of other people came in who I didn't know, and we were all standing there partying and having, you know, having a drink, having a great time. The idea of being in a space that's small and, and is crowded with over a hundred people—are you, are you kidding me? You think I'm going to do that? I do this for a living, so you know, people are not going to run back to crowds because you're going to be concerned you're going to be worried and you know taking everything back in baby steps is going to be key to us turning a life back on for what we want to do and how we want and how we want to interact with folks but stop acting like this is going to be the same. Uh, and so you know, we're focused on how do we you know, come back to experiences in a way that makes sense, leads in empathy, and is mindful of how people's behavior is going to change going forward. So on one hand, it's scary. On the other hand, it's it's super exciting to see where we end up.
1: Great points. Couldn't agree more. It's, very, it's clear that the economy is just totally change too. I mean, looking at the last, I don't want to even talk about the stock market because I think there's way too much focus on the stock market as a bellwether of the economy, but but just seeing the types of companies that are going public at valuations that like boggle the mind, <laughs> just at levels that that have no grounding in anything other than like people need a place to to park their cash. It's very clear that that a lot has changed. And at the same time, you know, the the, the underlying Trends and the underlying kind of principles of, of of what brings us together as a society and how the economy works I, certainly my hope is that service and this this need to remain prepared and and this need to take advantage of all the learning and the and the expertise that's been created in these last nine months tragically, but it's there I'm hopeful that that imperative will will create some real change even in the way that we think about you know, our, our day jobs, and then almost our reservist jobs, you know, what could I do if called into action? If the, if the country needed me, if my community needed me, what skills or what networks or what, uh, you know, kind of ideas do I have that could be really helpful. I think it's a, it's a huge opportunity. I'm hopeful that, that we won't let it totally go to waste.
0: Um, Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> we will see. So Laura, I know we've got to uh, let you go here on this Friday. You've got a million and one things on your to-do list. I guess I would end by just asking you, you know, you've been in this fight. uh, You've had, like all of us, I think life changed over the last nine months. And you've been able to see some of the, you know, frankly, the heroics and the the, kind of the goodness of the human spirit and, and the resilience of, Of our nature what thoughts or ideas would you want to leave our listeners with today as as you reflect on your last nine months of effort and and look forward
0: i would i would say it's really important for folks to remember that every little thing they can do can be helpful it doesn't take a million dollars to move mountains you know my friends uh mary Pryor started a program called breaking bread where you know they raised money to get meals to folks who needed it And literally it was quick and easy and you could quickly donate and they fed, I think, over a thousand people. And it was just something small because you saw that this is a scene and like, how can we help? And so like, you know, every little bit that you can do, you can do something to help. And I think, you know, again, that collective spirit of we are all in this for real together as a community of people is necessary for us to never let this happen again. And I would hope that folks can understand that, like, you know, donating some hours of your time to help, you know, a nonprofit with their websites or with their social, like the skills you already have can be utilized to help somebody else, to help another organization because these organizations are always underfunded and understaffed and under-resourced. And so, you know, find somewhere local that you'd like to help, call and say, listen, you know, I can volunteer X number of hours a week. I can take phone calls. You know, I can process donations. I can help with social media, whatever it might be. Um, because also, honestly, it's you know been very rewarding to do this work. Having a chance to hear from the students has it, been. It it fuels your soul. You know, in a year where, like, you know, what I thought my revenue was going to be and where it ended up being because of, you know, the nature of what happened in the industry, that's been replaced in my heart by being able to help other folks in a way that I would never would. Like, again, if you had told me a year ago that I'd be getting PPE delivered to communities, I'd be like, what? What is is PPE? I don't really talk to (laughs) you. So, much less, you know, like, you know, know, I have a school and talk to the chancellor and he's like, I can't thank you so much. I'm like, I mean, it's nuts there's goodness in everyone and I I try to believe that there's goodness in everyone. And I think, you know, you never know how you're going to be able to help unless you try. So try.
1: What an awesome message to end on. Couldn't agree more. Ask the question, show up, give it a shot. I I think it's fantastic. Laura, super grateful for your time today. Thank you for, for making a few minutes to spend with us and to share some of your experiences and insights with our listeners. And thanks also for everything you've been doing. I know, even though you you know, even if you're predisposed to help, there's a lot of fatigue. This has been a long fight, uh, and I appreciate you staying in it for everything you've done for the community and for the country. So, thanks so much for joining us today. For more episodes of the Inspired Service podcast, please visit us at www.inspiredservice.org and subscribe on iTunes.